Hello, and welcome to the writers and illustrators of the Feature Podcast. This is John Goodwin, your host. This podcast is dedicated to the aspiring writer and artist and will provide inspiration tips from top professionals in the field. If you've been listening to this podcast or are new to it, I thank you very much. I would also appreciate if you took a moment to follow on whatever platform you use to listen to your podcasts. I would also like to mention that our next Elwin Hubbard Presents Writers of the Future, this time is volume 39, featuring the work of today's show guests is now available. This volume contains 12 incredibly talented authors and 12 brilliant illustrators selected by some of your favorite names in science fiction and fantasy. If you're a fan of science fiction or fantasy and fantasy comedy, which you're about to hear more about, you'll absolutely find new voices you will love. Today's guests are David Hankins and Sarah Morrison. I met them both as winners in Elwin Hubbard Presents Writers of the Future Volume 39 with David's story, Death and the Taxman, David the author, and Sarah the illustrator. So with that said, welcome David and Sarah. Hi. Thank you. Happy to be here. Absolutely. So um, I guess the first thing is how you both found out about the contest. We'll start with Sarah. Ah, a winner of volume 38. My friend Jim Zakaria told me about it. I got it. Yeah. So you've been, how long have you been illustrating? Uh, well, that's like a hard question to answer because, you know, uh, uh, like many artists, I've been drawing for pretty much forever. Uh, but I think seriously, I started thinking about book covers in college and in the early aughts or whatever we're calling the early 2000s. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's way cool. And it's great just seeing your career because, I mean, I love your illustration. Oh, thank you. It's just, um, it's funny when, you know, all the illustrations are, are, I mean, they're really good, you know, but in terms of telling the story and you saw the reaction, the audience reaction too, when, um, when it came up on the oh, book release trailer, so good. it was way cool on that. And David yourself, how did you find out about writers of the future? I found out about it through Google. Um, I had been uh, trying to get a, uh, my first novel that I'd written accepted by agents and they weren't even responding. And so I thought, well, I'll try short stories. And I Googled short story contest and guess what popped up? Writers of the future. And then I was like, well, maybe I should actually study a little bit on how to write. So I was like, online writing class. Hey, writers of the future. Huh? Well, let's take a look at that. And yeah, that's how I found it. That's way cool. We went over with Sarah how long she's been doing her illustration. How long have you been writing? I've been writing for about seven years now. I've been really serious about it for five and actually published for a year and a half. I get it. I have now, a question it, for you. What? You've only been writing for seven years, but did you did you do any writing at all before that? Was it something that, that's like been near and dear to your heart little. before that? So I... I've written, uh, you know, in college, I took a degree that had lots of paper writing because I can spew words onto paper just fine. Don't make me do math. And so, uh, yeah, I've done that kind hey, of writing. What did you do in the military? Logistics. So I can Does plan that... things out. Um, and I use calculators and lots of fun stuff like that. But um, maybe so that definitely deals and, with math and statistics and logistics. Yeah. Hmm. Well, alrighty yeah. then. So, um, I guess the the um, 
you're recently graduated from the uh, the Writers of Future Workshop Week and the gala. So, any particular high points that you had, or obviously had high points, but anything that that sticks out as the most impactful for you? Do you want to go first? Uh, for me, I would say it was uh, we had one class with Dean Wesley Smith where he talked about the history of publishing. And it seems like kind of a dry subject, but it really kind of opened my eyes to where I'm going now Mm -hmm. with doing a Kickstarter, uh, diving headfirst into the indie publishing. He does seven uh, a year. Yeah, Uh, because that's such, it's the next wave. You know, traditional still is powerful. It's still Mm -hmm. there, but it's diminishing. And indie is on the rise. We're right in the middle of our current transition phase. No one really knows what it's going to look like at the end. Right. But so that particular class really cemented in my mind what I was going to do for my next step. I get it. And Sarah, for yourself? Uh, Having one-on-one time with some of the judges, we had a portfolio review that was really meaningful to actually get to sit down and just kind of focus on, on, you know, the good, the bad, and and where to go from here with with different people who have been in the field doing it professionally. Yeah, we have some of the most amazing illustrator artists. It's just, I mean, Larry Elmore is just like legend. Echo is just, what hasn't she done? Mm -hmm. What isn't she not proficient in? And then, you know, you've got Tom Wood. He's just He's the best-selling poster artist. To meet everybody and just like connect on a on a on you know professional and a personal level and learn from them. Yeah, and the fact that both the writer and illustrator judges are so willing to just meet with you and work with you, and it's like when the session's over for the day, Mm -hmm. it's not like okay, good, I'll see you tomorrow. They're like, you know, they're totally willing to to spend more time with you and chat with you and let's go, let's go have a drink and and just talk some more and just become friends. They they start treating you as peers which I think is great. It is really so, great. Yeah. So now one of the things that I always do, I've been working with this contest, not all 39 years, only 38, but it's... Uh, <laughs> only 38. <laughs> yeah. One of the things I'm always fascinated with is when I talk to various people connected with it, if they're familiar with if any of Mr. Hubbard's uh, fiction works, and sometimes I'll send books to people, but sometimes they've already just, they've read something now, I know, uh, Sarah, you were talking about one of the stories that you had read on To the Stars. What about that did you did you find that was cool? Because when we released it in early 2000s, because it was originally written in 1940, when we released it again in the 2000s, Entertainment Weekly gave it an A-. They said it's as gritty now as it was when it was first written. You know, hmm. the science is still just as as valid now as it was back then. You know, so what about it for you was made it a, a good story. I think, I mean, reading it in the context of knowing when it was written, which I, I forgot exactly how long ago, it helps because, you know, the, obviously not all the science is up to the same, you know, standards or, or like, you know, we've learned a lot more since then. So we know more about some of the stuff that was in it, but I, I thought it was very creative. Like, you know, uh, it didn't seem like these topics had really been talked about yet. Uh, it was the first just, novel of the time dilation theory. Exactly. Yeah. And, and sure, you know, so many books from that, that are early, you know, early sci-fi don't get things, everything right. It doesn't matter. It's still, right. 
you know, this is this is right for this world and how the characters deal with the situations that they get into in this world was it was, you know, it worked very well together. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting that point. That was also um, Jerry Purnell's favorite Hubbard story, because he said that, you know, nobody's disproving the time dilation theory. So that was the whole thing. Like what happens to your people when you go out and you come back? Yeah. They're like, you've aged a year, they've aged 70, you yeah. know? And so now you've got new people, your people, your government, your planets, your religions, everything's different when you come back. Even when you go on a mission to get a certain type of fuel that you need, when you come back, that science is long gone and it's no yeah. longer what you need. And it's yeah. just, it, it's amazing dealing with with the the science of that, but also just the the mentality of, of what that really means on what it refers to there is a long voyage. And I think, I feel like, you know, many writers don't think like, you know, like they'll, they'll depict a, a future that's not too far from where we are right now. And so then when we get that technology, it's like, oh yeah, the, it, it just doesn't, it doesn't, it's does this, I don't know how to quite describe it, but yeah. you know, he, he definitely like showed, oh, things can be vastly different, not just a little different. It's, it's the huge leaps and changes that we live through on a daily basis that feels slow. But if you do have that giant 70 year leap, it's totally different. Yeah. I mean, right now, post pandemic is such a different world than pre pandemic. And that's just been the last three years. And in the next year or two, the whole thing right now with AI chat, I just, I just went to an event, uh, the state of California. Um, it's an annual thing. So, you know, going over and we had, four state senators and assembly members there talking and they just had a, a strike start uh, yesterday on um, we've got the most of the unions are now striking in California. And one of the big fears they have is chat GPT doing them out of work, you know? And so the hotel hotels just shut down uh, those unions. And then you've got then uh, screenwriters and the actors guild. And it's just like, a big fear is you know, somebody can get a picture, it goes in chat GPT and they don't need the person anymore. It can go in there and they can do a whole commercial, a whole show with that, that image. Similar problems are happening with AI created art right now. And it's like, yeah, <laughs> we're all like, stop using our art to make fake art. <laughs> yeah. You know, so you take a look at three, four years ago, this is the world. And then you, go to sleep for 10 years, come back up and you find it's a whole new world. Very, very different. Know? Yeah. So that's that whole thing that he explores in that book on, on two yeah. stars. And oh, it's yeah. just, it's, you, it's you have to take it to an extreme sometimes. Yeah. It's just, it's, it's crazy how that happens like that. And then you also, um, you had mentioned David, we, before we started this uh, interview, we do a live performance every year for our, our winners mm -hmm. and judges. And some of the judges say that's their highlight for themselves of the week. They love live right. radio theater. So tell me about that from your perspective, the story. Um, it was absolutely fantastic. Uh, it was a story about a, a guy in a little person in a circus who wanted to be different and he wanted to be the ringmaster. And through the use of black magic managed to do a, you know, Freaky Friday position switch and just the the tongue in cheek humor and the the way that he dropped into situations that he had no idea what was going on, 
And but we, the audience, knew what was going on. And uh, yeah, the the whole thing it was a, a great uh, comedic event. Uh, yeah. and great this, story. This was called "If I Were You." If, if, if I, I Were, were you. you, yes, yeah, yes. And uh, really, really enjoyed that. Um, and you know, I've read some of uh, L. Ron Hubbard's other short stories, uh, particularly the ones that have been in the last few volumes. Yeah, but the um, uh, the one thing about that show that we do is Nancy Cartwright was in there. She was the one that was Little Tom Little. Yes. She's the, she's the yes. voice of Bart Simpson, and uh, that's her favorite story. She loves performing that one. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's it's a genre called circus fantasy, and it's a subgenre of fantasy. And it's um, if if it's well done, it's just it's so much fun. And this and this was that whole oh yeah, the, absolutely. The way the story was done, yeah. Well, so it's always great to actually see them up there behind their microphones, and then then they would change hats sometimes. Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> to really give the idea of what's happening, so they can change it. And they and the actors, you can see how much they love doing it too. A lot of times, uh, Hollywood actors, when they perform, they're in individual sound stages, individuals, you know, enclosed spaces where they do their their parts, and then it gets mixed afterwards. They don't necessarily get to perform in the same stage with everybody else. So they it tends to amp up the uh, the storytelling because they're this mm-hmm. they're in there they're watching each other and they're doing this stuff doing that and it's just oh it yeah makes they, for really fun. They were definitely playing off of each other's energy yeah. as they were doing it. Yeah, um, and I, I posted the, that show as a, as a podcast right when it came out the week after the, uh, mm-hmm. the show. It was so much fun. So I guess what we need to address here is um, this story. I love this story. And now having read the novel, after having read the short story, my first question, which came first? The short story came first. It did come first. Okay, yeah. good. So yeah. so just for, because this is the writers of the future, how do you take a short story? What was your process in taking a short story and novelizing it? So the with this particular short story, it's a milieu story, which is where the uh, protagonist gets into a setting and the whole story is about them getting back out of the setting to their normal think Alice in Wonderland. And so it's all about the Grim Reaper coming in, he becomes human, and then he has to, you know, get back to not being human. And so my beginning and my ending had to be the same. Right. So I had to expand the middle. So it wasn't like I had, you know, one chapter of a book that I had merely turned into a short story. So Which is what Patrick Rothfuss did. Right, right. Uh, so I had to uh, insert trifail cycles, insert other characters that could play off of my protagonist and you know add difficulties for him to overcome, added you know whole new arcs that weren't even in the original, but that I already had you know built in the back of my mind as I wrote the short story. Right. What I found fascinating is, your immediate take on the Grim Reaper is that he's, he's not a good dude, you know, just because of his look. He's got the bones and he's got the cowl and the scythe. But you paint him totally differently. Mm-hmm. You know, he becomes actually somebody like, wow, he's, 
I can for understand. Me, I can sympathize with him. For me, the Grim Reaper is a guy who just wants to do his job. <laughs> and it's not a fun job, but it's the job he has, and he does it as well as he can. And and so having humans who are always trying to thwart him and you know complaining about having to die, and it just makes his job so difficult. And so, yeah, being that uh, kind of the bureaucrat type mentality is something that I think that a lot of people can uh, connect with. Yeah. And it's also interesting, too, how when he became Frank Topman, you know, at least his body, you get to see he's able to like his personality starts coming out and he's he's not a grim dude. Like mm-hmm. I said, he's just trying to do his job and you know, when he actually experiences some love for a little bit, like, you know, it was like a whole different, then you find out this backstory. Right. You know, but anyway, I have some more questions, but before we get onto that, I want to ask, you know, Sarah, I absolutely love your illustration. That's to me, it just rocked. And it was, it was the most effective illust- story illustration I thought in the volume. Oh, thank and you. And I agree. It was, <laughs> you might be biased. <laughs> Maybe. Not at all. Not at all. But it was just, um, when you see it, it was like after having read the book and proofread the book, then seeing it, I went, boom, there it was. It was just, it was so clear. There's the tax mint as you described it, David. So what was your process on, on creating that, that uh, illustration? So uh, my general process is to come up with uh, a handful of thumbnails that I can submit that'd be like, you know, what might look good for this. And I had submitted a thumbnail that was uh, the Grim Reaper pointing at Frank. I had submitted a thumbnail that was Frank goofily holding the scythe. And I had submitted a thumbnail that was um, uh, one of the characters, uh, a demon that shows up later in the story. Alvin bureaucracy. Yep. <laughs> I wasn't sure if I should give anything away. I thought about hey, painting Alvin. That's fine. That's, yeah. <laughs> um, and, and as I was, you know, discussing them with uh, Echo, her job is to sort of, aside from the the art directing aspect, one of her jobs is to make sure that I'm painting something that also plays to my strengths. And so mm-hmm. after after some discussion, focusing on Frank made the most sense. Uh, while I well I still would have enjoyed painting the other two, I'm I love and am good at painting a good like uh, personality and character. And fabric, and so you so getting were. to that do was that just, one uh-huh. was the best choice. Because <laughs> I, I thought, wow, okay, here's a. She took a photo and just did some little <laughs> presto changeo in Photoshop, <laughs> right, and here right, we go. Right. But no, it was a painting that was just yeah, oil was, on canvas. Yeah, so it's, I mean, it's just it's just it's beautiful. How you did that, but it just it also so you really get Frank's personality there. I love and, painting expressive faces. Yeah, and you got this, you know, it totally fits your description of Frank with, you know, not a not an edge in his body. What was that you said about uh n- not a sharp edge. Yeah, not a sharp uh, edge. On it. <laughs> he's just this, this roly poly guy, but yeah, he just he just wants to live. He's just trying to do that. And so he tried to get something that could do that and you also paint a different picture of um, IRS auditors too. You know, you could have <laughs> taken it and and 
and gotten your revenge or whatever, you know, whatever <laughs> your experience was, but you, uh, you put them as like, okay, they're guys, they're also just trying to do their job. They're just people trying to do their jobs. Yeah. I mean, it's not a job that any of us who are not IRS auditors appreciate. Um, but yeah, they're, they just go to work, do their job. You know, uh, I actually, uh, at superstars, I talked to a gal who is a, um, I'm going to get her title wrong, but she, she's not a, a CPA, a, a, an accountant, but she works in that field and has worked with IRS um, offices there in Colorado. And this story is based in Colorado Springs. And so I gave her a draft copy of the novel and she gave me some good feedback on, well, they wouldn't actually do this. You know, they're, they're trying to, um, you know, get the audits off their plate. They, they don't, they are not out to, you know, get everyone and get every red cent they can. They just want everything to be correct. And so yeah. uh, it, it was a good uh, perspective talking to her uh, that really helped me humanize the evil IRS auditors. <laughs> now, I, mean, I go to Colorado Springs once a year now for superstars. Mm -hmm. And I went there also for a, uh, a space symposium half a dozen years ago or so. So how was it that that became your locale? Your, your so focus? while I was in the army, I was stationed in Colorado Springs for two years. And so uh, the, as far as locations, I remember driving past what I describe as the land of evil auditors. It's this, you know, the IRS building there. It's this giant monolith in the middle of its own parking lot uh, that's huge. And it just, it always caught my eye. And then, um, you know, I was like, well, I'm writing a story about IRS agents, so this makes sense. And I lived there for two years. So um, Edelweiss Restaurant was one of our favorite restaurants to go to. And so that became one of the settings there. And I could, you know, I'd been there often enough, I could picture it clearly in order to be able to uh, insert it into the story, as, you know, as well as getting the, the tastes and textures and all of that. Right. Yeah, it's interesting because that's also the setting for Ellen Hubbard's Battlefield Earth is Colorado mm -hmm. Springs. So I was just, uh, I was just interesting because okay, Colorado Springs, because that was the Air Force Academy. Right. Which is the last battle fought by Earth when, the, when it was invaded. But then Colorado Springs, what is it about Colorado Springs? It's just a nice place. I wanted to stay there a lot longer, but the Army had other plans. Oh, well. Oh, well. Yes. Okay, so now you've got a, um, a book. So you've taken yep. the, um, uh, the short story, you've turned it into a novel, and now you've, um, you're launching on a uh, Kickstarter. Mm -hmm. So why don't you talk about that? And I'll, I'll talk to both of you about what, you know, the basic what it is and then what people have to look forward to as, as you have your various upgrades. Okay. So Kickstarter is a crowdfunding ca uh, platform where people come in and say, you know, hey, I want to support whatever project it is that you've got. Um, Kickstarter for authors didn't really get big until Brandon Sanderson, you know, made it big. And uh, in the last couple of years, it's really grown as a, a way for authors to launch their books. 
whether it's someone like me that's trying to launch a debut novel or someone like Dean Wesley Smith, who's just like, yep, I've got my next book uh, and I'm going to do a Kickstarter for it and launch it that way. Get some some funds to do the things that we need to do for the Kickstarter. Get a uh, you know broaden that fan base a little bit, and so it, it really works well as a, a discovery platform. And that's one of the reasons why I chose it, uh, because while I have gotten some discovery through Writers of the Future, in order to sell books well, which is what I want to do, uh, I need a little bit more discovery, and so that's what Kickstarter provides. Uh, and so. I decided to uh, ask Sarah if she would team up with me on this Kickstarter in order to provide both story and art, because that's what writers and illustrators of the future does. And it is a gorgeous book. And so I was like, well, let's see if we can do something in the same vein. So um, we're providing... Uh, the the book I've got some anthologies I'm providing that are that I have stories in uh, which I, I talk to the editors of those anthologies so I can provide them uh, Sarah is providing some of her award-winning art uh, as well as we're looking at stretch goals for her to create more art for the book you know some interior art some icons for the chapter headers as well as um, for our top tier supporters three oil on canvas um, portraits specifically for them, you know, placing them into the book. Yeah. If, if, it, if, it's, if it's Tuckerization, if you put your name in, what is it if we put their faces in? I don't know. <laughs> if you put their face, you're the, the side <laughs> underneath their neck. <laughs> so you sent me the, um, the cover for the, for the book this morning, because I hadn't seen it. Right. Um, and so Sarah, I got to ask first, I mean, first thing I did is I put it up on a big computer screen and I showed everybody at a production meeting today and they're just like, <laughs> Oh my God. And they love the typography. Ooh. Did you, did you do that? That's well, like awesome. So it was David's idea to have the scythe right in there. And I'm like, that's a great plan. We're doing it. The yeah. rest of the font is a font that's very close to, was it Helvetica, I think I said? Helvetica, was, yep. Yeah, the, the, the font that is used on actual IRS paperwork. Um, it, it's actually on the IRS website. It says, our two fonts are Helvetica, and I think it was Arial, the zero yeah. one. So, uh, so it, it's otherwise a, a, a font that is almost identical to Helvetica that I've modified slightly with the scythe there. No, that was so cool because we, we blew up and it's just like, <gasps> Who did that? In fact, Emily <laughs> sent an email saying, okay, asking you, who, you know, did you do that? Who did this? Because it was, so many people asked like, oh, I love that. Who did that? So, yeah, that was, that was it, such a good it, effect. It, it's heartening. Feels good to hear that actual people who do design work liked that. <laughs> yeah. No, it was, mm -hmm. it was, it was definitely way cool. And then how you're making it a full cover wrap using the, the illustration and just um, you know, expanding his cape. So it goes to the back side of the cover. Are there going to be are there any other pieces of art in the book itself? Well, so if we reach one of our stretch goals, remember I had told you earlier that one of my thumbnail drawings that I submitted to Echo was a picture of Grimm pointing at uh, uh, Frank? Frank. Well, that I'll, I'll get to do that one if we reach that interior interior artwork stretch goal. Oh, that'd be great. Yeah, that'd be very cool. And that's also 
obviously something to be good for people to get as a uh, as a perk for getting and contributing mm -hmm. to the uh, to this whole thing. And um, um, chapter icons is the other thing that David was really excited about. Both of us, uh, I believe, are fans of the Wheel of Time, and mm -hmm. they have mm -hmm. some gorgeous chapter icons at the beginning of each chapter that they like, and they're related to something that's in the chapter. Yeah. Oh, that's a lot of fun on that. Now, one thing, you have a lot of different pieces in the book that's new, a, mm -hmm. a, relation, a, a relationship with someone else who could go further. You have, yep. you have lots of different things in there, which seems like, okay, he's finished the story. He's got his, his curve done here, you know, so he's, he's true to a short story, but now he's got himself so many little, not so many, but he had enough little loose ends there that sets you up for volume two or volume three. Correct. Oh, good. All right. So, yep. So that is the plan. Um, at this point I have it, um, plotted out for a trilogy and the, um, a, a lot of symbolism and, you know, things of three that are in the book will be taking effect throughout books two and book three. Um, you know, I talk about the three blades, grace, mercy, and justice. I talk mm -hmm. about the, you know, you have the three realms, the, you know, mortal realm, hell, and heaven. So book two is going to be in hell. Book three will be in heaven. And so it's um, grim. So you're taking off after Dante? I am. In fact, I've been listening to Dante's Inferno uh, okay. just this past week. Huh. So, um, no, that's because I read them. Like, okay, he's got a series here that he's just, he's setting us up for a series. And I mean, it's really fun. So you have humor is a key part of, of mm -hmm. your storytelling. And I know that Jody, did you have any conversations with Jody about? Oh, yes, Absolutely. Um, so it so is a coordinating judge for writers of the future. And she, she specializes in humorous fantasy. Yes. Uh, one of the first comments I got back was actually through Joni, uh, Labaki. When she called me, she said, yeah, uh, she loved that a humor story won. And she absolutely adored the story. I'm like, Oh, thank you. Uh, <laughs> and so, yeah, when, uh, I was there in Hollywood, we talked about humor. One of the first classes she gave was how to write humor, you know, how to write it as a, you know, a full story, how to merely insert humor to alleviate tension uh, and stuff like that and things that work, things that don't. So uh, I, I really got a lot out of that uh, particular class and she's reading the manuscript right now. Um, I'm still waiting to hear back from her on uh, what Jody, Jody. Yes. Yeah. Oh, that's uh, good. So yeah, I really, really did uh, appreciate all of her insights on humor and humor writing as uh, we were there in Hollywood. Yeah. And one thing that, that was that initially caught me on your story was when um, Frank was uh, briefed by the, um, the guy that was tricked in giving the formula you know, to change him from, to change bodies. Oh, yeah. Was the four things you got to, you know. The, <laughs> the incessant needs. Yes, the four incessant needs. And then yep. I was definitely, you know, had to chuckle really out loud on when the fourth <laughs> one came up there. So how did that, 
I mean, that's just, again, it, it's very clever. Mm -hmm. um, and just how you did that. So there's a whole, I guess there's a, there's a definite technology of how to write humor. So it's not like writing jokes because you're not writing jokes because you write jokes, right. you're going to lose people because it's just. Right. So writing humor, um, I mean, some of it is writing jokes, but it's a matter of writing them in such a way that it's the, the everyday life kind of joke. I do have a couple of, you know, straight up dad jokes and pratfalls type things that, you know, <laughs> maybe people will laugh at, maybe they'll roll their eyes, you know, but it's a, a one-off kind of thing. Uh, but really good humor is written just like any other plot point. You you give hints early on and then you build on it and you build on it until you get that payoff uh, at the end that is the, the joke that makes you you laugh. So you talk about the four incessant needs and that fourth one when it you know it's in the short story when that actually becomes a problem you're like oh yeah oh oh i i see what's coming here yep yeah. this is gonna happen yeah and, uh, <laughs> yeah and it's something that was set up early and then i didn't mm -hmm. in the short story i didn't even talk about it again until it yeah yeah uh and in the book well that was a little bit longer so i had to you know touch it a couple of points as he's dealing with being human you know i you know he talks about all the different, you know, ablutions, you know, yeah. there's a few things more dangerous than taking a shower, slippery tile. Um, and so that he is another recurring theme of, he thinks about all the little things that humans do that could kill him, but he has to do them anyway. Mm -hmm. And so you, you can get the continued humor on that as it's building to a climax. Yeah. For anybody that, that wants to be able to write humor, I definitely recommend, you know, anything by Jody Lynn Nye. She's, she's a master of that. Um, but this story, Death and Taxman in Rise of the Future, Volume 39, is um, just, it's just a really fun story. And um, that you turned it into a novel and still maintained that level of, of humor and just fun reading it. Yeah, go ahead, Sarah. As as somebody who has read the short story multiple times in a row at this point, because you know I wanted to make sure I got yeah. the right feel for it, working on the on the illustration. As somebody who has read the short story multiple times, I really enjoyed the novel. So, yeah. so don't don't think that <laughs> you're not yeah don't don't think that you're not going to enjoy. Oh, I've already read the short story version. No, no, read the novel version. It's worth it. <laughs> yeah, the novel just puts a whole it builds a whole world. You know, so right. you've got. You know, you've got short story by very nature, the very nature of a short story can't build the universe in the world like you can with a novel. And the fact that you built a universe that will be able to carry on for two more novels shows that there's a lot of there's a lot that went into it to mm -hmm. make it something that people are going to be able to have a, a lot of fun with. And just yep. um, it's interesting because. As I was reading that one, because I'm always reading books to keep up for the next podcast. So I did an interview yesterday with Roger Christian, who is the um, set designer, our director, who won the Oscar for the first Star Wars. He's the one that created the original lightsaber. He created the Millennium Falcon. He, the whole, all the sets. So cool. And he, ta he talks about how he did that. The, uh, he t the story of how he built R2-D2 and C-3PO mm -hmm. and how that came to be and, and cool. the whole thing. And 
just it's, it's going to be a, a really fun podcast to listen to. But for that one, I was reading uh, Hero of a Thousand Faces, which is about the history of heroes and the hero's journeys, which is what Luke Skywalker goes through and what Johnny Goodboy Tyler and Battlefield Earth goes through. And but all the famous heroes throughout the ages. So I was reading that. I was reading his autobiography. And then I was reading James Rosone about World War III and AI having gone and done this. And then I was reading this book here, you know, comedy, you know, uh, fantasy about, you know, the Grim Reaper. It was just, I, it was like, I've been reading and all of a sudden I went to another one there. I was like, okay, just let's get back to this one here. Cause it was constantly changing <laughs> yep. as to, you know, but I have to do that. Cause I'm always, I don't try to just stereotype into one type of a, of a person that will interview on doing this. So now, David, what do you see as where you're going for as as an author now? Are you like staying in this in this comedy fantasy world, or are you going to be expanding from there? Or I mean, heaven uh, knows so, we need we need this for society yeah. to have some ability to smile. Yes. Yeah, so I write lighthearted fiction because that's what I love to read, and there's not nearly enough humor in the world. That's so a fact. I plan to change that one story at a time. And so I plan to finish this trilogy. And then if there's more that's just demanding to be written on this uh, story, I'll keep going with it. But right now, my plan is to move over to that original story set that I had written uh, that was getting rejected left and right by the agents and I've reread it and I know now exactly why it was getting rejected left and right. It was horribly written, but there's a good uh, core story there. And so I have a new world that I've built that has, uh, I think, three accepted stories now. And one of them is called The Last Quest of Corbin the Coward. And uh, it's just this very lighthearted second world fantasy that I'm going to place the the original trilogy that I'd written into this world, rewrite it, retool it. And so very lighthearted second world fantasy, kind of in the vein of Terry Pratchett's Discworld, mm-hmm. but of course trying to take my own spin on it. And uh, so that's where I'm going to go. you've never read that. any Pratchett. Oh, yeah. I, I read a lot of Pratchett and I was working really hard to make my grim reaper not be his death you did it okay (laughs) yes so now this isn't necessarily totally uncommon but you two both immediately like hit it off as a writer Mm -hmm. and artist and that now sarah's novel is is illustrating the this cover and i'm i would imagine you're going to be a team for a bit so how did that work on, on cementing the, the deal? This is like after, after the award ceremony said, Sarah, let's do it. Okay. <laughs> and it was done. How'd that go? Yeah, basically. I mean, we, we had talked briefly over email actually before uh-huh. uh, the actual workshop week. And then because I recognized David's hat, uh, because yeah. he has a very iconic hat. When I walked by the writer's room, I had to go in and introduce myself in person and greet him when I got there. So 
So yeah, I mean, and one of the th nice things about the workshop week is actually getting to spend some time with the writers. And, yeah. you know, I, I got to chat with a lot of the different writers and, and connect with them. We all have a nice little Discord channel that we can all keep in touch on and help support each other. Uh, you know, getting to go and do this workshop week, this might be tangential to your original question, but just it really helps build relationships and and community and and a support network for each other. Uh, so of course, yeah, when when he was like, "Oh, hey, let's do this thing," I was like, "Yes, let's do this thing. I'm on board." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So from your perspective, David, then on on just cementing the relationship uh, with Sarah, how long did so, it take you to decide you wanted to do this? I actually was thinking about it before we even got to Hollywood. <laughs> so. Hmm. Uh, I won't say who, so I don't get her in trouble, but someone from Writers of the Future reached out to me and said, I'm not supposed to do this, but you need to reach out to your illustrator. And her art is amazing. I didn't get to see the art ahead of time, <laughs> but I reached out and we started chatting beforehand. And I realized that Sarah was someone that I could definitely work with. And while we were there, we sat down, had lunch one day, and uh, started talking about plans and ideas and uh, it just kind of grew from there and I, I would say that it definitely hasn't been all you know smooth roads roads and roses as yeah. we've you know figured out how to do this yeah we, we wrote a whole contract together to figure out like all right what do we need for this what do we need for that what's feasible to do uh, mm -hmm. you know how much of this can we offload to each other so that we're one of us yep. isn't doing all of one thing or yeah. <laughs> and it's interesting because we're both new to this. So we're making it up as we go. Yep. Sort of. yeah. <laughs> and uh, we, we have pulled in uh, assets from people that we know, you know, I know echo provided some uh, information and guidance on, you know, the contract stuff. And I've been, I've worked contracts previously uh, just in my day job. And so, I was, oh, I can get some verbiage changed for specificity and clarity and stuff like yeah. that. But yeah, working together, I think we've come to uh, a much a, a place where we are stronger together than you know just client and artist, you know, working sure. together. Yeah, yeah, it seems yeah. like it would be better like that. Just you know, both you know being very intimate parts of volume 39 you know it's, it's like you're you're key to the thing you're both international winning writer and illustrator which is always nice to be able to uh sashay around you know and um i think it's i, mean, I think it's really good and i'd like to see more of this it does happen you know and we see you know sometimes i see more of the judges picking up one of the winners and bring them under their wing and helping them. That's how like Pat Rothis got his start. That's how um, one of our, Chris Arias. Yep. From Costa Rica. Yep. You know, Dan Farr, who was a keynote speaker, in, you know, introduced him to the owner of the uh, Comic-Con in Costa Rica. Nice. And so he, he came in as a special guest. He's done every TV in Costa Rica. He had a, he had almost a six minute feature on him done by the biggest TV station in Costa Rica wow. as a winner of this international contest and what it's done. He's just like, oh, I'm so happy now, for it. yeah, he's doing great. And then one of the biggest graphic novels companies has him doing a, like an eight or nine page sample 
to um, to submit and looking at hiring him to become a you know an artist with them. And it's just it's huge, you know. That's it's awesome. just what he's done, and yeah, so he's doing really really well. But just from your perspective now, uh, David, on working with an illustrator, you know, because again, we're a lot of the a lot of the people listening to stuff, they like listening to the the stories that we have in people's journeys. Mm-hmm. But but now you're moving into this world of, you know, big time, you know, of releasing a book here and working with another artist and putting together a cover package. Right. You know, so what are some of the things that you've had to like that you didn't know you're gonna have to think with that you had to think with? Uh something I've learned is my what I see in my head is not necessarily what Sarah sees in her head. And so getting that clear vision of what, what I'm looking for across can be difficult. I mean, there, there can be some back and forth of, you know, Hey, I want to do this with an icon. And, you know, Sarah says, Oh, you mean like this? And (laughs) maybe I I want one aspect of that. And so, yeah, we kind of go, have had some back and forth on that. And, uh, and it's like, you just kind of narrow it down until we finally, Oh, okay. Now we've reached where we were trying to, to collaborate there. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. You're able to, to do that and work that out. So now Sarah, what's your, like, what do you see as your future path as an artist? So I am, I am a stay at home mom. So I do have a toddler that I'm raising at home. And, uh, but I, that does still allow me time to do my art on the side. So I want to continue to do book covers. Um, and I, uh, did a little bit of card game art. And so I'd like to do more of that as well. And that's where I see myself going. And eventually when my kid is able to, you know, have more of their daytime hours at public school, that will allow me more time to, to spend on my art. Track in with that. So now again, we have artists that are uh, listening to this or aspiring artists. So what's been your, like your personal journey from, you know, like I said, you've always been doodling and stuff and then it was college that it, that it hit. Yeah. And college was, was what I started to, you know, I was one of those kids where if you asked me what I, did, what I wanted to be when I grew up, I would say an artist, but I didn't have any direction for that. I didn't know what that meant, you know? And yeah. so in college was when I, uh, it was it was right after I'd been introduced to Dragonlance novels in in high school, where I Go finally, Larry. you know, yeah, Larry Elmore covers, yeah. and and so I was I was just starting to open my awareness to oh, this whole world exists, and I actually my very my very last year in high school, I went to the local one of the local science fiction and fantasy conventions, uh, Aresia here in Boston. Uh, I was a finalist in their student art competition that had been recommended mm-hmm. to me uh, by one of my teachers uh, in high school, and I so I was just my awareness of this fantasy science fiction art world was just starting to bloom. And I was like, all right, you know, what are the avenues and how do you get into them? Knowing that it wouldn't be right away. Um, I, you know, as, as I wrote in my blog post um, on the writers of the future blog, uh, I didn't take uh, the direct path to an art career straight out of college. Um, I was building my portfolio, uh, building my, my techniques, learning how to use different materials, which I continued doing um, mm-hmm. after college. And I, I did the get a stable day job so that I can afford rent route. And, and uh, it, it, it panned out in the end. So and the, I, took, I took the long road and it's, it's still a long road. Um, but. And, and your next step then is you're going to be envisioning. Uh, so I, 
I, I mostly work right now for uh, small publishing companies. There's one in Australia, IFWG. I've been doing a bunch of covers for them. There's uh, two more covers that'll be coming out, uh, or one of them that just got released and another one that's coming out this year. Um, and I'm presumably another one next year. And I love working with them, um, but you know, uh, still looking into more publishing companies to, to work with. Yeah. You're talking about, you also mentioned you want to be able to do uh, cards, playing cards yeah. or, or um, I guess there's, all, there's so many different types of decks that are be done. Uh, Echo Trinity did a couple of great decks for yep. Patrick Rothfuss uh, series, but um, have you done anything on that already? Uh, so there was a, a local uh, game designer who I, I think they're actually a friend of a friend, but they had put out a call for art. And and I was like, oh yeah, this this sounds really interesting. They made a game. I, I haven't actually even had a chance to play it yet, but I just love the the creativity behind it. It's a storytelling game that is very surreal. And so they had prompts that they gave me for what sort of art they were looking for, for the cards for the game. Mm-hmm. And, and I could kind of, you know, submit sketches again, the way I would for a book cover to be like, all right, is this sort of what you're looking for? And they might be like, oh no, can I have a little bit more of this? Or yes, that's exactly what I need. And so, you know, again, trying to, to meet where, meet in the middle, but they, they had a lot of leeway on, on where it could go because they wanted us to, to, you know, create something that was very uh, unusual and, and, and special. Right. And so I, I, there was a whole, a whole team of us artists working on the cards. So the deck is very diverse. Oh, good. And then yourself, David. So with your own journey, because again, as I mentioned with, with Sarah, we have a lot of aspiring writers and artists that are listening to this, mm-hmm. as well as other people just are fascinated with creatives. So your journey and where you're going to be taking it. So I know you had, you're like, what, 80 years in the military? <laughs> I was in the army for 20 years uh, and two months. And so and 12 days and 16 hours. Okay. Got it. I got that. 20 years, two months, two weeks, actually. But <laughs> who's counting? Exactly. So um, then, so the writing, when did that actually, we've already established the fact that you didn't really write up until recently. So that started uh, with my daughter telling, I started in the oral tradition of trying to convince my daughter to go to sleep with inventive stories, which completely backfired. I would steal from the classics, the Disney stories or whatever, chuck the protagonist and I put my daughter in and she was Beatrix the Brave off to do whatever. So she was the one that was, you know, saving Sleeping Beauty instead of Prince Charming. So she would pluck Sleeping Beauty's finger off the spinning wheel and, oh, she's awake. So I'd just be telling these stories and they kind of grew into this whole world and she uh, started noticing inconsistencies and picking on them. Like, hey, you said... So I had to start writing it down so I could keep track of it. And that's what uh, grew into uh, this whole writing thing that is definitely becoming my next career. And yeah, that started uh, yeah, about six years before I retired from the Army. So do you envision at any point having um, writing being your main source of income? That is the dream, yes. I've been doing a lot of math, even though I don't like math, in order to figure out exactly how much I need to make from writing so that I can quit my day job uh, and do writing full time. Well, hopefully your wife then is is good with arithmetic or math so she can then double check your numbers. Yes, yes, very much so. (laughs) 
Yeah. And then Sarah, what, or are you planning to be able to make it? So it's just, you're able to make art, your art, your main source of income. I mean, at this point, art is my personal main source of income. Uh, my, I, I, I privileged that my husband. Your husband's uh, this family source of income. Is primarily, family, <laughs> primarily the family source of income. And I, and, and so my, my funding, uh, uh, you know, can help create, you know, the college fund for our child and perhaps vacation money. And, you know, when the car needs repairs and, mm-hmm. and that other part of the income that people don't always remember to do the math for beyond your rent yeah. and bills. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's great. So the purpose of this podcast, in addition to talk about celebrate your both of your careers is um, the uh, Kickstarter. So from your perspective, Sarah, what's What's coming down on the, on this Kickstarter? Why should somebody uh, participate in it, support it? Oh, because it's an amazing book. <laughs> I mean, you know, <laughs> like any like any Kickstarter, you know, I would I would say uh, David's writing is fantastic. If nothing else, you should support David's Kickstarter so that you can have a real copy of his novel and read the book. And and uh, you know, as the artist. I would hope that you would support the Kickstarter so that you can get some of my prints. And, uh, you know, quite aside from seeing the artwork on the cover, there's going to be some prints involved. Um, If we reach some of the stretch goals, uh, the print of Frank, uh, uh, you know, the actual cover art will have a foiled scythe that will look really nice. Very cool. Are you doing anything where you're autographing the prints as well for anybody that donates? I'll be signing, the, yeah. This, the, the $15,000 donations? <laughs> yeah. Well, no. I mean, the, the, the prints that I'm mailing out will, will be autographed, yeah. Oh, good. That's great. Thank you very much, Sarah. I appreciate your being on this podcast. <laughs> Thank you both. Looking forward to, uh, to this Kickstarter. Absolutely. Okay. So now, David, what's the um, – so this Kickstarter rolls out Give a little bit of the timeline, how, when it, you know, it starts, ends, what your goal is on this thing, what you're trying to accomplish. Sure. sure. Uh, so the Kickstarter launches on August 8th and will end on September 7th. My initial goal is $1,900, uh, which is just enough on my uh, hopefully good math to fund <laughs> paying for Sarah's art for the cover, uh, the actual publishing and printing of it, as well as other uh, things that I didn't consider initially when I said, I'm going to go indie. Like you have to buy your own ISBNs. You have to um, buy, uh, you know. That's the international standard book numbers, ISBNs, international standard book number. Um, And so, uh, you know, getting it uh, copy edited by someone so that I have that professional second set of eyes to catch, you know, missed periods and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, all those different costs that added up to $1,900 is what I need in order to break even to publish this. Uh, But then we have stretch goals. And like Sarah was talking about, those stretch goals, uh, some of them are adding art. Some of them are adding, um, you know, different swag. Like I have a death and tax man uh, greeting card, (laughs) which is, you know, send a, a greeting card to your favorite tax professional as a thank you or a warning. And yeah, and one of the things that I'm going to provide, assuming we hit the stretch goal, is a short story, which is the uh, origin story for Cora. Because I had a lot of people ask me, what about Cora? I want to know more. 
And so if we hit that stretch goal, that's, well, that's what we'll get. Um, yeah, Cora was, um, she was an interesting character. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, not the character I expected. Yeah. Bit of an enigma. So on, um, I'm going to put into the link in, in this uh, podcast itself that you gave me for people to sign up for the uh, uh, Kickstarter. Mm-hmm. And we'll also use this on the, on the promotion for this podcast as well. But um, so they're going to get, I mean, I read the book. I, I really enjoyed it. It was a lot, it was a lot of fun and it was, mm-hmm. and it became very clear that um, it's, it's not a one shot deal. You know, you're, there's more right. coming, like you yep, said, there's more coming. Yeah, so it's this is um, Dante's being re reinvented in the twenty first century here. Yep, with a tax man. <laughs> with a tax man, Purgatorio and Inferno and in um, heaven, where you're going to yep finish it off. So on um, on people now uh, reading in general, have you? Because you said you you like the idea of doing humorous books or right. or light you know stuff so do you have any other favorite authors in that category besides yourself and Joe um, <laughs> Terry Pratchett uh his disc world is something that I draw a lot of inspiration from uh I love the way that he is able to address serious issues through humor mm-hmm. uh every single book that he has is is unique in its own way you know he might have internal series uh to that whole collection of i think it's 30 some books uh that follow this character or that character and they all interact with each other um but he's talking about our society issues um whether it's racism of we don't the dwarves don't like the trolls and so they're always you know beating on each other and and so it's a way that we can, you know, look at it and, you know, tongue in cheek and kind of giggle and go, yeah, we, we have that problem. Okay. Yeah. Maybe, maybe we need to address this. Um, and, and so, yeah, the Terry Pratchett's definitely one of my favorites. If anyone listening has not read Terry Pratchett, pick up any of the Discworld books, you will enjoy it. Good. There's another series too that we published that was written by, um, by Mr. Herber called Mission Earth. And it's it's science fiction satire, and it totally pokes fun at all the things that you see happening here on on Earth right now. It's, it's Earth mm-hmm. from, the, from the perspective of the aliens, and when you take a look at what we're so involved in, and all these things that have become such divisive, you know, situations here from the viewpoint of of an alien, you know, what you know, not even understanding this stuff, right? Here. But then you also see a planet that's controlled by at this at this point it's a guy named Rocket Center who controls all the you know the petroleum and so you got the, the global warming and you've got the um, the drugs and you've got the pollution all these other things and the CIA the alphabet soup you know mm-hmm. groups that you've got there yep. Yep. but from the viewpoint of of aliens looking at it like really you know and using drugs to get political wives addicted so you can use that then to control the politicians to do what you want Mm -hmm. to do you know the various things on that so some of it's just really funny but this is a it's an interesting series because it's told from the the narrator 
is the bad guy, you know? Right. And he's right. trying, he's constantly trying to sabotage. So the good guy isn't the narrator, but you follow him along on this thing. It's just, um, so that will be coming out a little bit later again. It's a re-release, but it's just, it's, I think it's important that people have the ability to smile about and not get so totally wrapped up in how really desperate sometimes things have become. Mm -hmm. um, that is good. That's why I'm really happy for you on this book and hopefully that it, it does really, really well. Yeah. Uh, so my book isn't in the genre of hope punk, but I definitely like that the mentality that that genre has where they look at our world and where our world is going and look at the positive sides of it. Yeah. You know, looking at uh, the fact that our world in many ways is much better than it was 10 years ago, 20 years ago. You know, when you look at uh, today's medicine versus what my parents' generation had and their parents' generation had uh, is far above and beyond what, you know, and, and better and technology. We have all our, our cell phones and computers and, you know, we're yeah. talking right now in two totally different states over the computer, which is not something that we could have done 20, 30 years ago. And so fact. our lives are improving and it, the world is getting better. We just have a tendency to look at things through a negative lens. Yeah. And so I, I want to, kind of flip that and look at it through a positive lens. Good. Well, you've definitely um, taken a, a major step in that direction. And with that, I think we've come up with our hour. And so um, I'm really hopeful people are going to take advantage of this uh, Kickstarter and do something and um, that it gets you off to a, a grand start. So um, for everybody else listening, thank you very much. Subscribe to the Writers of the Feature podcast wherever you get your podcasts. We've also been syndicated on the United Public Radio Network, where you can find these podcasts as well. Writers of the Future series can be purchased wherever books are sold in the U.S., Canada, the U.K., Australia, and South Africa, and available everywhere via Amazon.com. We're especially grateful of our sponsor, Carnation, for supporting this podcast. Carnation has been making delicious milk products for over a century and is still going strong. Writers and Illustrators of the Future are contests created by Elwin Hubbard to provide a means for the aspiring writer and artist to be seen and acknowledged. It is free to enter and open to amateur short story writers and artists of science fiction or fantasy. Again, thank you very much, David. Thank you. <laughs>